for the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Sunday, May 26th, the greatest spectacle in racing returns. The Indianapolis 500 on NBC and Peacock. 33 of the world's fastest drivers go head-to-head -head for a chance to kiss the bricks, taste the milk, and claim their place in racing history. Experience the drama, the pageantry, the tradition. Live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Indy 500. Sunday, May 26th on NBC and Peacock. Or listen on Sirius XM NBC Sports Channel. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Monday edition, Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. I, I don't know whether or not we're back on Sky Sports today. I'll go ahead and preemptively say hello to our friends in the UK and in Ireland in the event we are back. I have heard mixed things about whether or not we are back. They are short-staffed at Sky, like they are everywhere in the TV business now. So uh, maybe we're back, maybe we're not. But we're on NBCSN, and hello, Christopher, how are you? Quit ruffling your papers. Sorry, you can hear that? Wow, these these AirPods yes. are pretty good. I know, I'm trying to get my notebook set, situated, but how you doing, man? You doing all right? How was your weekend, all right? You know, it, Saturday night was the closest hour to normalcy that that we've experienced as a family in weeks, so it was nice. It was 80 degrees, we cooked hamburgers, we ate outside, you know, there's just something about being able to be outside at these times, which you just cherish and it's warm and it's nice. And the dog was trying to snarf the burgers. So that was normal that the dog trying to eat our food is the the, the clearest indication of normal. And uh, so it was good. How, how was your weekend? It was good. It was, uh, you know, you're right. It's a lot of family time. The one, one thing I really have been enjoying is we've been doing a lot of family dinners at night, the wife cooking that way. So we've been enjoying that. Uh, you know what I've got into a little bit? Playing some card games with the kids, playing some backgammon with the wife. We're gambling some massage, personal massage time, okay? Um, let's see, negatives of the weekend? You know, when you have this much free time, I mean, I don't know. Just alcohol and daddy cigars are hard to turn down. So that, that's <laughs> one of the big challenges of the weekend and the whole week when you're sitting here at home. <laughs> The biggest challenge for everybody, and I encourage everybody to muster the world to do it, find something you can do by way of exercise because it really does yeah. help reduce the stress. It gets you away from the concerns of the day. They just melt away. When you're focused on some sort of strenuous activity, you don't have time to drive yourself crazy worrying about this and worrying about that and worrying about a relative that's in you know, an area that may have a, a higher concentration of COVID-19 cases than where you live and just it's constant, constant worry. And that's the only escape. And I've been able to do it every day, really, since we got back 
from Indianapolis, Chris, with the exception of one, I've been able to get a good workout in that really does help keep me sane. And I think everybody needs to be doing that. Yeah, I agree with you there. It, it, it does. It's, it is my sanity. There's no doubt about it. I'm one of those guys that's edgy and can be a little temperamental until I get that workout. It relaxes me. And you're right. It'll put your brain in a good spot. It's overall health, uh, health there. So yeah, I would suggest that to anybody out there, get a little sweat, get them, get the body moving a little. And I think that the encouragement, the messages we're getting from the people who are working at home, the recognizable people in the NFL, like 49ers GM John Lynch, he posted some videos over the weekend. It just creates this sense that we're all in this shared experience together. This is all a unique time in everyone's existence that who knows what we'll be saying about it five or ten years from now other than thank God it's over. But it's good that these messages are out there. Let me play for you what what John Lynch, a little piece of what John Lynch posted over the weekend to give you an idea of how everyone is really kind of dealing with this pretty much the same way, even the guys who have a draft coming up in three weeks and three days. Here's John Lynch. It's John Lynch. I kind of wanted to show you where I'm working from at home. As you can see, I've got uh, my setup. Uh, This is uh, 49ers Draft Central for the time being. Um, we're all dealing with challenges, um, but I, I will tell you in, in uh, situations like this, I, I think um, you count your blessings. And what I'm thankful for, the terrific work um, that our entire staff, from our scouts, our coaches, um, our IT, our video, uh, to get ready for this draft. This draft is ab- absolutely huge for us, so there's no excuses, no explanations. we got to get our work done, albeit from home. Peter King points out in his Football Morning in America column that that message from John Lynch is a classic Tony Dungy message. No excuses, no explanations. You just have to go do it. And, you know, Chris, in the aftermath of the memo last week from the commissioner telling everyone the draft is proceeding as scheduled and thou shalt not complain about it or you will be disciplined, nobody's complaining because any time you spend complaining is time that you could be spending getting ready for the draft. And I think for all the teams – The message is go. This thing's coming up in 24 days, and you better be coming up with ways to make the most out of the time you have. Yeah, that's right. It it does. It's all systems go. And I think most guys in the NFL have been approaching it that way. You know, whether they like it or not, you know, that's a different story. Now, I'll say this, uh, Mike. You know, I I think a lot of guys in the NFL are enjoying this. You know, yes, are they a little out of their routine? Do they wish they had more access to certain things? Certainly. But I will say, you know, Mike, the few friends, scouts I'm texting with, you know, just to say, hi, what's going on, talking draft, you know, they're really enjoying their time home. This is a group of people who grind. And when I say they grind, I mean, it's unlike any other grind uh, that's out there as far as time in the office, watching film, time away from family, traveling around the country. A lot of these scouts, GMs, you know, head coaches, coordinators, they'd be on the road or grinding in the office uh, big time right now. So the fact that they're at least at home with the family around, I think they're, they're very appreciative of that in the most part. But, yes, times are weird, and people are having to adjust, and uh, it, it seems like the, the NFL is a no-excuse community anyways. And I know that guys like John Lynch and other GMs are just going to continue to trudge forward. And there is one very specific area where plenty of work can be done to know more about the prospects in this year's draft. I I got clarification yesterday from the league. Every team has the ability to contact an unlimited number of prospects three times per week per prospect. Each guy can be contacted three times per week by 
telephone or video conference, and they can keep them on the line for up to an hour each time. So, Chris, you can get up to three hours per week from every prospect if you want to do it. So you you spread that out over the course of the last, you know, five or six weeks leading up to the draft. You've got a lot of time you can spend interacting with these guys. And, yes, it's no replacement for sitting across from them at a table, especially you got some tough questions to ask about some off-field issues or whatever the case may be. And none of this replaces the ability to find out physically and medically where guys are. But there is an opportunity here to spend a ton of time talking to and interacting with these guys in order to find out more information about them and and to at least have some context for getting to know them a little bit better. That'll go a long way. Uh, you know, as we all know, and you know, you know specifically in the NFL, hey, yeah, the workouts are there. We know they're very important. The, you know, getting to know a guy, being in a room with them, very important. You know, what's what's his football IQ? All that's important. You're going to be able to get some of this. Yeah, you're not going to get that personal eye-to-eye contact. But to be able to get on FaceTime or Skype or something like that, whatever it may be, and have some conversations with the guy that you're really thinking about investing a lot of money into, you know, dedicating a spot on your roster to say, damn, we need this position and you're the guy. Yeah, these are things that are a necessity. Yeah, these are big time investments these organizations are making, and you got to get to know these guys to a degree. So, you know, I, it's a good idea by the NFL to open it up this way, can keep keep continuing these conversations week by week. I think that's a great way too. instead of just one visit where you get to see a guy one or two days, you start to get a feel for the guy on a weekly basis. Hey, I'll call you, you know, Wednesday at seven every week for the next three weeks. You start to get to know a guy, his parents, his family, whatever it may be, the surroundings and how comfortable and how well you might feel he may fit uh, on your football team. And I also think, Chris, if you've got a guy where there are concerns about how reliable he is, you tell him, we're going to call you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. sharp. And if he's not there, right, if he doesn't answer – or if he's all groggy, or if he has waked and baked as uh, some, well, you, have, you can't, you can't because you have the show, but, um, or maybe you can't, but, but th- that's a way through that rhythm and that routine to see whether or not this is somebody you can rely upon to show up for work. I think that's very fair too. Yes. You know, you get a, you get a good feel. Is this guy got his life together? Has he got his act together? Are things scheduled out? Is he acting mature and grown up and professional that way? You know, these are all things that yeah, the players are going to have to, you know, take into their own hands. It's, it is. It's weird times. But uh, I do think you're right. That's another inkling that these coaches and GMs will be able to get looking into these players, seeing how well organized they got this whole thing during this weird, weird process. But nonetheless, I'm glad the NFL changed the rules here. They had to, of course. I mean, how can you make the number 15 pick in the draft if you have no feel for what the human being you're going to draft is like? So, uh, at least we're we're doing something there positive, and uh, we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Another thing to keep in mind too, and I addressed this over the weekend in a mailbag column that I did. It's important this year, more important than ever, to have a good agent who is looking out for you because the agents who are connected will be advocating for their clients aggressively with coaches, GMs, scouts over the course of the next three and a half weeks. And we'll be protecting those clients against the negative stuff that other agents will be saying about them. We've speculated in the past, maybe one of the reasons why Lamar Jackson lasted until pick 32 two years ago is he didn't have an agent to protect him against 
other agents representing other quarterbacks propagating the Bill Polian nonsense that this guy should be a receiver. There's no agent to push back against that and advance the narrative that Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP of the league in 2019, and you better not miss the boat. So with no workouts, no medical, no anything other than these opportunities to have phone calls and video conferences, the agents are going to be the ones you know, the trusted agents, the ones who have the networks, the ones who are very good at persuading people, they have more power than usual because that may be the closest thing that you're going to have to getting inside of who a guy is uh, because you're not going to get to see him. You're not going to get to see him work out. You're not going to get to poke house his knee. Hey, if it's an agent that you trust and he says, we've had this guy looked at, the knee's fine, that goes a long way. And I think it makes it more important to have a good agent who's respected and connected in this draft uh, preparation time, Chris. Would 100, 100% agree with that. You're right. I mean, the agent's the middleman. And, and to have a middleman that a team or organization trusts to say, hey, listen, you know, my guy, I know you talk to him on Skype or FaceTime two or three times, but you got to trust me. This is what I'm seeing, too. Those relationships are. They're going to go a long way. The other thing I'm noticing, too, Mike, I mean, I just feel like because there's no school workouts or personal workouts, we're not hearing as many rumors about guys because, you know, not as many NFL people are congregating at one spot and talking to each other. And that's how the rumors get out. You know, that's what happens. Oh, you're, you know, at the University of Texas Pro Day and oh, hey, did you hear Johnny did this? Blah, 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 blah. And then it spreads around the league that, hey, Johnny's got an issue with this. We heard it last week at the workout, whatever it may be. But that's one thing I don't think you're going to hear a lot throughout this process this year because we don't have scouts and coaches you know, congregating in one place nearly as much or at all, at least. And the, and the players taking the visits. Hey, so-and-so has visited the Steelers and the Bengals and the Browns and this team and that team. There's no visits. And who no. cares if they're calling him? Because every team can call every player three times per week. And, you know, that, that, that dilutes the significance of getting a phone call. If you get a visit when they only have 30 of them to give out, that's a big deal. If you get a phone call, who cares? They can call everybody if they want to. So that flow of information has disappeared. And it'll be interesting to see how the agents try to, to sprinkle that information out there as to, oh, hey, my guy is in demand. He spent three full hours this week on the phone with coaches from this team, this team, this team. So it's just a different reality. And I think, I think that because we've never had to do it before, you got a lot of people that are still trying to figure out how best to work this to their advantage. And I, I think that over the course of the next three weeks, we'll start to hear some of that about who's talking to whom the most. But for now, it's just crickets. And I, I have a feeling that for a little while longer, at a minimum, we're, it's still going to be not really hearing much. And there's plenty of teams that like it that way, Chris. Well, yeah, it's not. You know, the one thing I thought about, too, when I heard some of these rules, I just thought, Man, you know, this could make life even harder for coaches and GMs, too. I mean, not that it's hard enough as is, but now you think about with players, right? And let's say you got, you know, player X, he's got 20 teams that are, you know, interested in taking him somewhere in the top three rounds, whatever it may be. You know, how does he organize all those calls? They're going to go into the nighttime, I think, at some point. I mean, this guy's got to work out. He's got a regimen he's trying to, you know, uh, keep track of on a daily basis right now. Uh, I, I just look at that, too, to go, man, some of these coaches, right, you got to watch film or GMs, watching film all day, and then probably have to get on the phone with a bunch of players at 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night and start talking to them and building relationships and getting to know these guys, too. So 
you know, even though uh, most of the NFL or all of it is working at home, you know, I can promise you these guys are working hard. They're grinding and they got lots to do. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And one last point before we take our break, and these were comments that came over the weekend from Steelers GM Kevin Colbert to the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and I think it's something important to keep in mind now. Art Rooney Jr., Bill Nunn, and Dick Haley, they put together the best draft in NFL history in 1974, and they didn't have pro days. They didn't have combines. They relied on what they felt those guys were as football players. If we have to go into this draft with that same mentality, that's our challenge, and we'll do the best we can. Five Hall of Famers in 1974, Chris. Four of them drafted, one of them not drafted, Donnie Shell. But no pro days, no combines. And this is going to be a reminder that what you see on film is what you should trust. And sometimes all that other stuff just gets in the way. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Manning Bowl 1 is going to be televised tonight on NBCSN's Football Week in America. We're going to take a look back at that game next on PFT Live. Football Week in America begins tonight on NBCSN at 7 p.m. Eastern. Colts Giants from 2006. Al Michaels and John Madden on the call for Manning Bowl 1. The first encounter ever between Eli and Peyton Manning. And then after that, Broncos Patriots from 2013, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. That one featured a 24-0 deficit by the homestanding Patriots. They came back. Forced overtime, and it actually it was the Broncos that forced the tie late right. in regulation to go to overtime. Peyton Manning uh, did not have a great night, but he did have a great final drive to get it to overtime. And then late in overtime, it was Wes Welker, the former Patriot, back in New England. The punt was misplayed. He took the blame. The ball hit Tony Carter. The Patriots recover. They kick the field goal. They win the game in OT 34-31 after being down 24-0 at halftime. So that game is going to be the nightcap. We'll talk more about Manning Bowl later. What stands out to you from your memory of the 2013 Peyton Manning-Tom Brady get-together in Foxborough? Well, I mean, of course, it was kind of the, the renewal of the the rivalry, right? We weren't sure, like, if Manning was going to make it back and ever be totally himself after the neck surgery and injury and everything about that. So you're going, man, are we ever going to see Manning Brady again? And then we saw it where, whoa, is Denver really the best team in football? I mean, they got out of the gates that year and were the number one team in the AFC going into the showdown with New England. But uh, I just remember thinking – Okay, no matter what, when the game was over, I went, Denver's real. They got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Whether they had to go back to New England or got to play the Patriots at home, I remember walking away going, oh, Denver's a legit Super Bowl contender, and they could beat the Patriots, you know, at either place. And, and of course, Brady Magic and New England Mystique came back in this one as usual uh, because they're the greatest I've ever seen at doing stuff like this. <laughs> But but the Broncos would go on to win the AFC Championship game that yep. year and go to the Super Bowl where they lost badly to the Seahawks. When the game went to overtime, Bill Belichick chose to kick because he wanted the win because Peyton Manning right. had such a hard time throwing into the win that night. 11 for 23 for 93 yards, throwing into the win that was blowing in ridiculous fashion that November evening in Foxborough. And how about no Sean Marino? 224 yeah. rushing yards in that game on 37 carries. Well, I, yeah, no, Sean, I played with him in Denver, uh, really good player. But this, you know, w what happened in that game is Manning and Denver and everybody, they were setting the world on fire with throwing the ball around the field, right? Mike, touchdown passes galore. 
Well, Bill Belichick, like he always does, just basically said, oh, yeah, great. We'll play pass defense all day. I don't think you and your run game can stay patient and beat us. Now, he almost lost because of it, but, you know, ultimately they got a hold of that, and that was just the ultimate Belichick thing. He was going to take the air to the football. He wasn't going to let Peyton just sit there and dissect him. He wanted to see if Sean Moreno could run the football, be effective that way, and he was. But, yes, I remember that. You're right, too. Peyton had trouble with the win. And that's, to me, one thing where I'll sit there and just go, again, that's why Tom Brady, you know, underrated with his ability to throw the football in a lot of ways. Because, man, did he play a lot of games in tough weather up there in New England. It was never affected, Mike, even in this game. You know, they dropped back 50 times because they just said, well, Tom can throw it through the elements. Who cares? Yeah, 344 yards after halftime. 31 points after halftime from the New England Patriots offense uh and uh he led the team to three scores uh along the way three touchdown passes along the way so hey, look that game you'll get to see it tonight don't just take it from us 9 30 p.m eastern tonight you'll have that manning and brady get together in foxborough from 2013 and before that manning bowl one we'll talk about that one a little bit more next hour where peyton and eli got together september 10 2006 and you get to hear john madden i'm gonna watch that just to hear john madden uh, it's, there's just something special about hearing that that uh, voice from the past. We're going to take a quick break. No doubt. Get to live coming at you right after this. Download the NBC Sports Scores app to get current scores, stats, news, and updates for every game. And Florio's podcast right there in your hand. Now back to Pro Football Talk Live on NBC The folks at William sports Hill Radio. posted updated odds for the division championships. 2020 and the two divisions affected the most by the early stages of free agency the AFC East and the NFC South because hashtag Tommy has made the leap from New England to Tampa Bay and check out the AFC East and check out where the action is Chris the Buffalo Bills 52% of the tickets 89% of the dollars and their odds have been pushed down from seven to two to seven to five to win the division. The Patriots were a minus 300 favorite, which means you got to bet 300 to win 100. Now it's a straight even money proposition for the Patriots to win the division with the Bills right behind them at seven to five. And there is the NFC South, Tampa Bay, seven to four. The, the Saints are still the favorite, minus 115. Again, you got to bet 115 to win 100. So they are below even money favorites. But Tampa Bay at seven to four. That's all as a result of Tommy. And look at that. The total dollars, 86% being wagered through the William Hill Sportsbook on the Buccaneers. Really not a surprise when you consider you're taking Tom Brady off of one team and drop him on to the other, Chris. Well, I, I, it, I mean, you're right. It is, but it, but it isn't. I mean, I'm also surprised. I mean, the Saints have been the best team in football for three years running. I mean, basically. I mean, I know they weren't the best. I'm just saying they've been in that conversation where we've been talking about them being a number one seed or they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And man, they still got a lot of their team together, you know, have made some nice moves in free agency, getting, you know, uh, some extra help at the wide receiver position for Drew Brees and company. So I, I just look at them as still the favorite, you know, at the end of the day, first off, you know, yeah, the Saints are battle tested. They've been there. They've done that. There is something to say about continuity. And then the other thing I'll say too is, you know, the Saints up front, 
that's where I'm always impressed with them. That's where they've won a lot of their football games. They've had one of the best offensive defensive lines in football for the last three or four years. And they still got that group together as well. And we see that usually leads to success. So my money's still on the New Orleans Saints. I'm not backing off them. I need to see a little of Tampa Bay first and all these new moving parts work together. The post-free agency favorites for the NFC are the Saints in the South, the 49ers in the West, Packers in the North, and it's a tie between the Cowboys and the Eagles in the East. Is there a team that you consider to be a lock to win their division? Is there a team that you feel as strongly about as you feel about the Saints? No. no, no. I mean, I, I like, I of course, like San Francisco, but I just look at that division and go, Arizona's getting better. We know that. Kyler Murray ain't going anywhere. And then the big thing is it's Seattle. You know, Seattle's going to come back hungrier than ever. So uh, I just look at that as, yeah, I'm going to say San Francisco's the favorite, but I don't sit here and, uh, you know, feel comfortable in in, uh, late March here just going, oh, no, that's a lock. You know, I I look at the NFC North and I feel the same way. Yeah, okay, I'll favor Green Bay right now, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable. I still look at it and just go, wow, it's up for grabs, really, in all of these divisions. I just look at it and feel that way. You know, now the NFC East, you get into that, Mike, right? I mean, I do think it's between Dallas and Philadelphia, certainly. Um, but, you know, I, if you just made me pick a lock in the NFC as far as out of the favorites that I like, I'm going with New Orleans still. I'm not backing away from Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, good defense, good defensive coaching, good up front. Uh, I would still say, that to me, they're the lock as far as the NFC favorite to still win their division. What do you think? They've done such a great job of resetting after horrendous playoff disappointment. 2017, the Minneapolis Miracle. 2018, that debacle in the NFC Championship game with the non-call of pass interference. This year, hey, no big deal. We lost in overtime at home in the wild card round. That's nothing compared to how could be pass interference too. In the past, well, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, We'll be, we're fine. We'll go back to zero and zero, and we'll keep climbing. You want to bring Tom Brady onto the Buccaneers? We'll be fine. And I think that's the attitude that the Saints have had, and it's served them well over the past few years. You know, it really struck me, and we haven't talked about this when we met Drew Brees at the Super Bowl and spent some time with him. He pointed out that, you know, as he was going through this retirement question, the closest he ever came to retirement was going into that 2017 season because they had had three mediocre years before that. And going into 2017, he was thinking, this may be it for me. And if they don't turn it around the way they turn it around that year, he may have been gone for multiple years by now. But you look at what they've done the past three seasons, how great they've been in the regular season. And yes, they've had heartbreaking exits in the postseason, but I agree with you of the teams in the NFC. They're the team that I would regard as the most likely to repeat as division champion. Okay, good. I I was wondering where you're going to go there. You're uh, yeah. All right. So you like the saints the most after that, who is it? Who's the next team you got confidence in there? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I don't, I shouldn't host the show. I'll let you do it. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. I mean, I guess, I guess the Packers just because I don't think any of the other teams in the division have done enough to catch them. But let's flip it around to the teams that have the longest odds. You've got Washington, the Lions, the Panthers, and the Cardinals. And we've seen worst-to-first performances 15 out of 17 seasons since they went to an eight-division format. 15 out of 17 times, a team that finished last found a way to win the division. Any of those four teams stand out as a threat to the reigning division champion in their respective divisions? 
Well, I, I think the two that jump out to me in that conversation are Detroit and Arizona. We, we mentioned the Arizona factor. Yeah, Kyler Murray, uh, of course, DeAndre Hopkins being there, Kenyon Drake, Cliff Kingsbury year two. But I think if you maybe really nail me down, I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions as a team. I would just say I kind of got a little asterisk next to them to say watch out. You know, I think they're very close. Again, last year, injury really killed them. Kerryon Johnson got hurt. Matthew Stafford got hurt. I, I really think if they stay healthy, that they've built a nice little roster there to be competitive. And I also think they've adapted to the culture, not only that Matt Patricia has installed, instilled, like, you know, in the locker room and everything like that, but the style of play in which he wants to play. We saw that transition nicely last year, too, from year one with Matthew Stafford to year two, where he seemed a lot more comfortable. So Detroit would be a team I'd say watch out for. I'm not, I wouldn't pick them, but I would just say they're the team that jumps out to me out of this group. See, for me, it's the Cardinals. Because with the Lions, it's always something. You mentioned last year, hey, they had the injuries with on Johnson and Matthew Stafford. Right. That's, that's right. what the something was last year. This year, it's going to be another something that goes forward with uh, the Detroit Lions. I think the Cardinals are a team to watch because when they go to Seattle and win last year, Week 16, when the Seahawks are trying to win that division, that was an impressive performance. That tells me this team has faith in itself. They've gotten better with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. I think Kyler Murray is going to be the guy who takes the league by storm this year. It was Patrick Mahomes 2018, Lamar Jackson 2019. I think it's going to be Kyler Murray 2020. So I I think that – and look – not the easiest division in the world to surmount when you've got the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Rams, but I think the Cardinals are going to be a very dangerous team this year, and they're going to be in the thick of things all season long. Yeah, they're close. I, I, you know, I look at them as maybe being a year away still. I guess that's why I don't pick them like that. But I, trending in the right direction, certainly, and I'm with you. You know that. I mean, Kyle Murray, I think, is special as hell. And the, the other thing, too, you know, out of those guys last year that we questioned about who got hired as new head coaches, is Cliff Kingsbury ready, all of that? He proved he was ready. He is. And the thing I like more than anything, he's adapted. He didn't just keep running his Red Raiders offense and we're going to throw it everywhere and throw it every play. He adapted as the year went on. He's stealing plays from other coaches and schemes, which is what a good coach is supposed to do. And uh, I, I do like what I see in Arizona nonetheless. All right, AFC, the favorites are the Patriots, the Ravens, the Colts, and the Chiefs. Who is your lock, and who's the one that you look at and say, nah, nah, not happening? Well, I mean, Kansas City's my lock. I mean, that's the one I look at. I'm just, yeah, I'm not going away from that. I'm not leaving Patrick Mahomes, all the talent they have on that roster, a defense that got better last year. So to me, uh, that one's easy. I'm going with KC as the lock. Now, everything else to me is you know, up for grabs. I mean, the AFC South, Indy's the favorite. I get it. Phillip Rivers and the Colts, it's a good football team. I'm still taking the Tennessee Titans there, so I'm not feeling good about Indy. And then Baltimore, yeah, I think that division's going to be a lot more competitive this year, too. So I'm not sitting here ready to say that they're a lock. Pittsburgh's going to have something to say with Big Ben being healthy. I think Cleveland will right the ship a little bit, too. And then we know the AFC's up for grabs. So out of all the division, you know, champs or the, the favorites there, I think KC is by far the one that I look at as to be the lock. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Even if the Chargers had gotten Tom Brady or if they do get Cam Newton, it's still the Chiefs. It's still Patrick Mahomes. And that's still the team to beat in the division, in the conference, and really in the league this year. 
All right, other side of the equation, you've got the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Jaguars, and the Chargers and Broncos tied with the the longest odds to turn it around and win the division. Who's the sleeper that you would be looking at and saying, watch that team this year? Well, I mean, okay, like what are we talking about here? Sleeper, like they might win the division? Win the division. Yeah, yeah, well, then none of them, none of them, okay? I don't think any of them. That's my answer, okay? But I do say watch out, like, for Miami. I think that they're going to be a pain in people's butt this year. I do agree with that. You know, and then, uh, like, I just said Kansas City's my lock in the West, all right? But I do think the Chargers and Denver have playoff caliber rosters they're building there right now. And I mean, how could you not like what you saw from Drew Locke and some of the other young weapons on the Denver offense? And we know that defense is only going to get better there in Denver. They just added Jarrell Casey. They didn't have Bradley Chubb last year. So Vic Fangio and his system, you just I would just think that's going to take a step in the right direction as well. So I look as Denver and Chargers being legit wildcard type teams this year and being very competitive the AFC but I'm not ready to say any of those are going to be like a a team that's going to steal a spot at the top of division all right let me ask you this then yeah if the Dolphins would give in to the temptation that I raised last week and I remember I converted you last week to the possibility of the Dolphins making a run for Cam Newton put Cam Newton on the Dolphins make Cam Newton healthy does that change your assessment it, it, well, it certainly wouldn't. Yes, it would. It would. It would bring it up another notch. But I don't think I would still look at them and go, "Oh, they're going to steal the AFC East." No, I just think they're still a young football team that's finding their way. You know, I really like what Chris Greer and Brian Flores are building down there. But I'm not ready to say that yet. No, I'm not. Uh, even with Cam Newton, I think if they have Cam Newton, yeah, they could be in the in the wild card conversation. But uh, I, I'm not ready to say that. You know, New England. I know they've lost players. Uh, but it's still the Patriots, and they still got a lot of good football players and the best coach in football coaching them. The Bills, uh, they're battle-tested. They're young. They're talented. They're deep. There's nothing that I have to like about that team. So I just can't put Miami in the AFC title conversation quite yet. And I just think they're yeah, going quarterback not- in the first round, Mike. Yeah, it's it's not going to be easy for them to climb that mountain. That's more of a longer-term build. I think the Bills yeah. are the team that you really need to watch in the AFC East. And And I agree with you. None of these teams strike me as as a team that can turn it around. I Look, the Jaguars are going to have no expectations this year for the first time in several years, and that's one of the key ingredients to having that kind of special turnaround season when teams just overlook you, and they're like, ah, oh, it's just the Jaguars. Because Gardner Minshew showed us last year he's got potential, and he got thrust into it. He didn't have the opportunity to prepare. Not that anybody's going to have the opportunity to prepare much this year, but as Minshew becomes the guy and as the Jaguars have reduced expectations, that could be the foundation for a little bit of a surprise in Jacksonville. Uh, agreed. Uh, you know, yes. You know, things I think will be a little more calm down there altogether as an organization. You know, I think we saw last year. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little messed up, and uh, you know, not working on all facets, whether it was in the locker room or in the front office, it was dysfunctional. So I'm with you. I mean, they're a team that still got some talented players that I look at and go, wow but I just think they've lost too much the last few years and they're kind of in a rebuild mode. But Mike, you know, we talked about those teams with like the lowest odds to me, like out of the teams that we talked about AFC longest odds, who is the, like Denver really is a team I look at to go watch out for. I mean, yes, you know, Pat Shermer is an offensive coordinator, him being added into there. Mike men, Mike Munchak's getting that offensive line together. 
you know, Melvin Gordon being signed, you know, Cortland Sutton at receiver. We see how talented he is. Noah Fant, he's ready to explode as a superstar tight end in football. You know, and then the defense, we've talked about it. They just got talent everywhere to where I would go watch out for Denver. Yeah, I don't think they're going to beat Kansas City in the AFC West, but I certainly could see them playing a, a road AFC wildcard playoff football game this year uh, when it comes time hey. for January. We're both believers in Drew Locke. We didn't see him until late in the season. He's loose. He's having fun. He's skilled. They blew the Texans off the field, which I think puts everyone on notice for this season. So I agree with you. Watch out for the Broncos. All right. I got to watch out for the clock. We got to take a break. Chris Sims has a prospect that he says has the cleanest film I've ever seen by a college quarterback. If that's not the kiss of death, I don't know what is. We'll tell you who he said that about when Fifty Live continues right after this. Last week, Chris Sims unveiled his top five quarterback prospects to no surprise as he pours more coffee. Joe Burrow is number one. Those AirPods are good, man. They pick they up are. everything. Everything. Do not try to. Uh, never mind. Joe Burrow, number one on the list. And Chris says it's the cleanest film he's ever seen from a college quarterback. Explain to the peoples and me what you mean by that. Well, I, I just it, – it's one good decision, one high-level high throw, one accurate throw after another that results in, you know, big-time results for their football team. That's where I look at it. Just very few bad decisions, errant throws. It's a well-oiled machine. And people out there might go, well, you, you docked to a Tango Viola for a well-oiled machine in Alabama. Yes, I understand that. But to me here, there's a big difference, all right? With Joe Burrow, you know, and Mike, you've heard me say this before, the quarterback position, I'm big in what, how much are you taking advantage of what's there to be had? And then when there's nothing there, what do you do with it? And to me, that's the big thing that jumps out with Joe Burrow. If people are open downfield or there's a big play to be had, bam, he throws a strike. Mike, if there's nothing there, the pocket collapses, nobody's open, Bam, he delivers a strike, 20 yard scrambles or just hangs in the pocket and slides around and takes a hit with people on him or gets outside of the pocket because he has incredible athleticism. I mean, you see him turn the corner in the SEC a lot, and the SEC is the most NFL players there is by far. Uh, so there's just really no negative to the guy overall. Now, I'll say this, like for the number one pick, I wish he had a little bit of a stronger arm, but I, it's not like. Uh, uh, something where I look at and go, oh, man, I'm worried about him making certain throws in the NFL. No, his arm's plenty strong enough to make all the throws. It's just not a wow arm. But when you turn off the film, you just go, I, there's, what's not the like? Where do I really start? There's not really much negative to talk about other than I wish he was a better deep ball thrower. Other than that, he's pretty damn perfect. And you make a good point that we need to start paying more and more attention to because – You've got the quarterback out there that can be the robot, who can run the Shanahan offense, right? Do exactly what he's told to do. But then when everything falls apart, right. that's it. It's done, right? That's Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Uh, then you've yes. got the guy. Then you've got the guy who will run the play as it's designed, but when it all hits the fan, he can make something happen. That's the Patrick Mahomes model, and I'm getting the impression from what you're telling me that based on what you've seen at LSU, Joe Burrow can do both. And I think they got to be looking for quarterbacks now that can do both. Yes, because you're right. I mean, you're not always going to get drafted by Kyle Shanahan or Sean Payton or Josh McDaniels, right? 
to where you just, you know, not everybody's on their level as, as game plan designers, schemers, getting people open. So, yeah, uh, you know, the, the, the simple reality is life in the NFL for most quarterbacks is, okay, there's an open receiver. Bam, I'll throw it to him. But the next two or three times you drop back, nobody's open or you have pressure in your face and you got to make something happen. And I am big into that. And that's what makes Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson so special that they can drop back and I go, ooh, there's four guys covered. The defense is all over it. Oh, what are they going to do now? Well, that usually ends up in a positive result no matter what the defense does. And Joe Burrow brings that to the table. I am big into that. That's life in the NFL, especially when you're talking about being a top pick. You're going to be going to a bad team that's still finding its way. And you're going to have to make plays with your ability. The offensive machine's not going to deliver it for you on, you know, a silver platter all the time. More quarterback talk when we return from the first overall pick this year, likely, to the first overall pick from 2011. Some Cam Newton workout videos we're going to break down next here on PFT Live. 